Good morning. Greet you in Jesus' name this morning. To enjoy the Sunday school hour and the subject of the Good Shepherd. I uh, didn't realize how closely compared, similar my meditation here this morning would be. I was looking for inspiration all week, thinking of the events. Saturday was a bike ride. I was hoping for some more inspiration. I didn't get it. it wasn't until last night. I appreciated Dennis's message last Sunday, faith in the presence of God for the future. And thinking of them moving, I wanted it to be something somewhat of a inspiration to them, but not necessarily it's to everyone. I know we had a farewell, but I think uh, we all anticipate that we will continue to see them. So this morning, I'm going to do something just a little bit different. Jesus uses stories to illustrate points that he wants to get to us. And I want to read a little story. It's a short story. And I want it to be a paint a mental picture in your mind, in your brain of what it would be like to be a sailor in the 1800s. I'll give credit where it's due. This story comes from a K-5 of a lesson in social and science from California school. Life at the sea in the 1800s was very difficult. Living on a ship that sailed the east and west coasts of America challenged children and adults alike. I want to set the stage. Life at sea. Far from shore, a ship is floating, is a floating island, away from land for a single day or for months on end. Voyagers depend entirely on their ships and the people abroad aboard them. For everyone on board, there are duties, meals, places to sleep, moments of peace and moments of terror. Yet to some extent, all aboard of the vessel contribute to the nature of this isolated society. Sea voyages are varied as the men and women are who make of them. For the professional sailor, the voyage is a way of life with rules of conduct and a distant social order. For the passenger, a voyage is a temporary interruption, a period of little, of little responsibility or control. At sea, your life depends on doing your work well. From navigating to hauling on the line, sailors through normal careful workmen are not always well rewarded. Too often they are seen as seagoers, hobos, transit forever in motion from ship to ship, port to port. The story continues with a little girl. Her name is Abby, and she sails to California. My name is Abigail, and I'm an eight-year-old. Friends call me Abby. My home is in Boston, Massachusetts. My parents just told me that we are going, that we are moving to California for the gold rush. I am really sad because all my friends are going to be left behind in Boston, along with my teachers and the rest of my family. My father is a sea captain. He just went 
together with some of his friends to buy a new cargo ship and start a new life in California. They formed a company called the Boston and California Joint Stock Mining and Trading Company. He plans to transport goods and people from the Boston to California. My mother and little brother Milton and big brother Ermer are all going on this voyage, the first voyage on the new ship, the Edward Ervert. I watched as the carpenters built a beautiful little house, all complete, with gingerbread trim. They carefully numbered all the boards and then took it apart. Then the carpenters and their helpers put all pieces, put all of its pieces into the hole at the bottom of the ship. It seemed as though it took forever. Father told me that the carpenters are sailing to California with us and they will rebuild the house once we arrive. It just seems silly, but I guess there is no lumber prepared for building houses there, or so that's what my mother says. The day finally came when we set sail from the dock in Boston. We left on January 12, 1849. After hugging all my friends and family at the dock, it began to sink in that I would never see Boston and the other big beautiful mansions there again. I wondered how well all the, all would fit in to that tiny house that lie below the deck on this ship. Tears began to stream down my cheek as I thought of my beloved friends and family standing there on the dock waving goodbye. We sailed south down the coast of America. I heard the stories about the dangerous water and the gale force winds at Cape Horn. As we got closer to South America, I began to worry about the part of our voyage. As we came upon the southern tip of South America, the winds began to blow and get stronger and the waves got higher. I started to get sick every day as we were tossed about on the ship like a rag doll. Father made mother and all of us children stay in the captain's quarters down below the deck. And when the waves got really high, water would rush over the decks of the ship, making it seem so small in a great, great sea. In this part of the world, huge gales come up suddenly. All of a sudden it happens. The wind began to blow, and oh, how it blew. It was the beginning of a gale. The ship rode the waves and the winds like a bucking horse. The ship, the dishes, and the cargo were being thrown from one side of the ship to the other. Mother strapped us all into our bunks and began to pray out loud. The storm hit us with force so strong that all we could do was hang on to the nearest pots, nearest post, and pray for our safety. My brothers were crying, and I wanted to, too, but was brave and just tried to comfort them. Mother was so pale and so sick, the cooks could not prepare food, and none of us could eat anyway. We all felt so sick. Our quarters were nicer than the fossil where the sailor stayed, but we were still bruised and battered from motion of the slip of the ship. I felt sorry for the sailors who had such meager quarters. While we were starting around Cape Horn, the sea got really rough. The sailors were shouting and running across the deck. We could hear them from within the captain's quarters. Once I got out of my bunk and pulled myself up to look out the top cabin window, suddenly a line broke and the sail was flapping around so violently that we thought it would bring the mass right down and through the ship's deck. I started to cry and right then I could see a sailor running up the mast. He was dressed in his foul weather gear and had his rigging knife in hand. The gallant sailor climbed along. While he clung to the mast, he quickly cut the rigging line that held that flapping sail. The sailor saved the mast with one quick cut. By this time, the water was rushing about 
three feet deep across the decks, and I really thought the ship would sink. We would all be left out here in a terrible place in the ocean where the Atlantic meets the Pacific, Cape Horn. After a whole month of this rough weather, we finally rounded Cape Horn and started up the Pacific coast of South America. Once the sea got calmer and the storms broke, my father, the ship's captain, took out the medical kit. He was no doctor and had to refer to his medical book often. Mother helped him with his duties. He had to tend to the wounds of the sailors got while fighting the storm. They had slashes in their arms and legs. Some had cuts in their faces and heads. Mother actually used her mending needle to sew up one of the sailor's legs. A large piece of the mass had cut through his leg. This Pacific Ocean is beautiful. Sometimes it is really rough with lots of high waves and strong winds. Then sometimes it is mild and calm. I felt like we would never get there. I wonder what my friends were doing at home during this springtime when it is so beautiful in Boston. As we sailed north up the coast of South America, there were whole days when the water was calm and the winds were soft. The sailors called this the doordrum of on those glorious days we were able to go out on the deck and to take in some sun and fresh air. The ships got rather musty smelling during those long voyages. On those days, Mother took out her small metal tub and put little brother Milton in it. She used the bucket of fresh water that had warmed up in the sun and scooped water and poured it over him. Milton loved it, and it was fun to, to watch. The children were able to play on the ship's deck on those days, too. The rules of the ship were that we could not talk or make any noise. We made up all kinds of games that did not involve talking, such as tag, you're in. Sometimes mother would take out her sewing basket and mend the clothes of those, and the clothes of the shipmates. Father would have some extra time in those days too, since the sea was calm and the captains were not required to guide the crew. He would take out his slate board and gather all the children together to teach them, to teach us ABCs and numbers. I was learning to read so that someday I could read the Bible. I already knew how to read some of the easier passages. Often in the late afternoons we just walked around the deck to watch the crew as they worked. After the huge storm, many of the ship's sailors were torn. The ship's sails were torn. The sailors climbed up in the, up the rigging and pulled down the ripped sail. The ship's shipmaker sat on the deck with a mending kit, and the kit included the sailmaker's palm and needle. He would mend the sails with his needle and thread it using the sailmaker's uh, through many layers of canvas. Once the sails were mended. The sailors would climb up the tall rigging and set the sail in place once again. This was routine after every storm. Also on calm days, we would see sailors using large paintbrushes to paint on the ship where it needed some attention. The wood was exposed. There was chance of dry rot. Any wet wood was unprotected, and the ship crew was responsible to keep the ship in tip-top condition at all times. Later that week, I was put on the deck on another sunny day. The first mate handed me a beautiful piece of the sailor's fancy work. Often sailors with extra time, had extra time on their hands, would make fancy work of old scraps and rigging sails of, and line. The piece was very nice. We pulled into the port of Alpraiso, Chile to replenish our supplies. 
the ship's cooks made an order for local market. Fresh fruit was brought on the board. We devoured that fresh food. It tasted so good after our meager meals prepared under rough sea. Soon we were off again, sailing directly for the port of San Francisco. There were many calm days with few rough ones during our trip up the coast of America, South America. Father drew a map of North America and South America on his slate board to teach us what he called the beginning of navigation. He showed us how he used his sextant to navigate at dawn and at dusk. Mother helped him with navigating when he could. They looked so happy standing there together on out there on the deck. Mother's duties were to take care of us and father with my brother, and that took a lot of her time. They could get into so much mischief when there was extra time. Mother would knit, sew, and do fancy needlework. She seemed so peaceful at sea during those times. I could I could tell father liked having his family aboard the ship. It took us almost seven months to go from Boston to San Francisco. That trip due to very, very rough sea at Cape Horn in a few days that were too calm coming up the Pacific Ocean. One fine day, we came around the bend, and behold, the glorious opening to the Bay of San Francisco. It was a bright, rough going into the bay, but once we were in the bay, what a sight. There were all kinds of tents spread across the hill with few buildings scattered throughout. There were many buildings down by the wharf with the dock workers streaming around carrying goods, so much hustle and bustle going on, it was divine to be that close to land once again. The bay was filled with abandoned ships and boats. We found out that the passengers and even even the crews were just leaving their ships and catching small sailboats and steamboats up the Sacramento River to where the gold could be found in the Sierra Nevada foothills. It was so exciting to set anchor in that bay. Father started to make arrangements to have the ship unloaded right then and there. But we soon found out that we had to stay on the ship one more day and night because we arrived on July 4th, 1849. The ship's crew and lighters did not have to work that day. We all celebrated our great country's freedom still on board the ship. The cook made a special meal with all the leftover supplies. What a feast. We had beef, pork, cheese, applesauce, donuts, gingerbread, Plum cakes, tarts, fresh fruit purchased on the stop at Valparaiso Chile. The cook must have been so happy to prepare the ship's meal on that anchored ship. I watched as the ship's crew unloaded all the cargo we had brought and our little house boarded board by board. They loaded everything in wagons and father brought a wagon, food, horse and mules to pull the load. Early the next day, Father and the carpenters jumped into the wagon and headed to Irvington that they could start to build our new house there in California. Mother and we children stayed behind in San Francisco to live at a hotel until our house was ready. Mother is going to enroll us in a private school here in San Francisco for now. Although I miss my grandmother and my friends back in Boston, it's going to be a great adventure here in San Francisco. You see, there's another story in the Bible. Turn to Matthew chapter 8.
you haven't gathered the title, it's Jesus, our pilot. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. And when he was entered into the ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with, with the waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he said unto them, Why are you fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Here's Jesus. He was teaching, he was healing. He's wore out, he's tired, he's exhausted, and he wants a break. And he tells his disciples, let's go to the other side. And they enter a ship, and they follow. Obviously, a storm arose. And he had a teaching opportunity with his disciples. Verse 26, Why are you fearful? O ye of little faith. Here's the creator. The Lord of the universe. In the middle of a storm. Sleeping. And then he says. Peace be still. And the winds obey. What better captain. What better pilot. What better guidance could we have from our captain than the one that is in control of everything? I came across a guy by the name of Dale Black. Has anybody ever heard of Dale Black? A few of you? He, uh, it's a true story. Um, he was a pilot. At age 19, he crashed and was... There's three of them, three pilots, and they had crashed. He was in Africa. He had big aspirations, big dreams of being a pilot. And uh, he was pronounced dead at the scene, so obviously no help arrived very quickly. But then he goes on, and uh, he, he uh, was helped, and he was in a coma for, I think, three days, and the fourth day he woke up. But his story is that uh, he went to heaven and he has a little bit of description on that but he uh, he gives uh, encouragement to those that face struggles in life's storms and he said there's three points that he, he mentioned first one is we can deny it second one is we can suffer through it or the third is we can put God first and then we can thrive In uh, hymns of the church, number three, uh, 553, I don't know if your song picked out or not, but you can lead that if you want. It's the hymn, Jesus, Savior, Pilot Me. And that song was specifically written for sailors. And it uses language that is very familiar with sailors. It talks about the chart, talks about the compass, and it talks about the need... Uh, for a competent pilot 
that can guide them through the Tepentious Sea. The author of that, Edward Hopper, he was born in New York in February 17, 1818, and his father was a merchant, and he took it upon himself to uh, be a minister to the sailors, and he started a church there in New York uh, known as the Church of Sea and Land, and he ministered most effectively the remaining of his life to the sailors. He had a vision. He had a vision to minister to the sailors, and he understood that for those sailors to be out there at sea for however long it may be, not having any chaplain on board, they needed encouragement. And he wrote this poem, and someone else put music to it, but this poem was a very favorite to those sailors as they were out at sea. At age 72, Edward Hopper's prayer expressed in the third stanza of, of his hymn to its complete fulfillment when he died in 1888. He was found sitting in his study chair, pencil in hand, writing a new poem on the subject of heaven. The words of the hymn are, Jesus, Savior, pilot me over life's tempestuous sea. Unknown ways before me roll, hidden, hiding rocks and treacherous soul. Chart and compass come from thee, Jesus, Savior, pilot me. As a mother stills her child, thou canst hush the ocean while boisterous waves obey thy will. When thou sayst to them, be still. Wondrous sovereign of the sea, Jesus, Savior, pilot me. When at last I near the shore, and the fearful breakers roar, twixt me and the peaceful rest, then while leaning on thy breast, may I hear thee say to me, Fear not, I will pilot thee. What jumps out to me first is placing our confidence constantly in the pilot of our life, and that is Jesus Christ, as he guides us through the sea. After all, there in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus has the authority to calm nature, the sea. We can trust him. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not on thy own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. He will help us overcome fears and doubts. Isaiah 43, 1 and 2, But now, thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, ye shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Didn't Dennis talk about the three Hebrew boys last Sunday? The fire not being burned? His promise in Isaiah that God will be with us. Psalms 27.1 The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalms 56.3 and 4 Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise His word. 
In God I will put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? Romans 8, 8, 8, Romans 8, 15. For ye did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Second thing sticks out to me. There will be storms. There will be waves that at times may seem alarming and overwhelming. But we can rest assured that the Lord is still in control. He is sovereign. Psalms 135.6 For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did He in heaven and in earth and in sea and in deep. Talking about the sea and the depth of it. Isaiah 46.10 Declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Ephesians 1.11 In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who worked all things according to the counsel of his will. Revelation 4.11 You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by you, by your will they exist and were created. Life is like the sea. There is going to be calm days, peaceful days, days where, as in that story, we're called boardroom. You know, it's, you know you, for a sailor needing that method of sailing, the, the sails to catch the breeze, you didn't want the calm days where there was no breeze, and you didn't want the stormy days that whipped your sail. You, need, you still needed wind. But, you know, there's going to be calm days where you can collect your bearings, and then there's going to be stormy days that you might lose your bearings. But most of all, let's give the controls to Jesus, and He will guide us through. You know, there's an interesting fact to sailing a rough sea. You know, it may be alarming and scary, but the fact is, I'm told that if you have a ship and you're in rough seas, the key is to stay out where the water is deeper and ride the swells that are tossing the ship up and down. Don't get too close to land. If you get too close to land, that is when those swells turn into waves and then your control, you lose. And the ship can break, come aground, and things can go wrong. Also along the shore, there can be large rocks, boulders that are hidden under the water and will be very devastating to you in the ship. We may get some distractions in our sailing. You know, we may not be paying close attention to the charts. What is the chart? I think we have it right here. It's the Bible. If we're not using that, we're not charting our, our life through that, then we won't be distracted. And we may end up drifting 
closer to shore. Look what happened. Ships are not made to sail on ground. What happened over in Egypt in the Suez Canal? Big container ship, one of the world's biggest ships, came wedged in there in that canal and caused havoc. And it's still, as far as I know, causing havoc. It's not moving. Finally, the Lord Jesus will safely lead us into that perfect harbor, heaven, our heavenly home. John 14, 1-3 Let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Can you imagine the relief it is after you have been riding through a storm and you're pulling to the port and it's calm and secure, there's security with the protection around that port? What a joy, what a relief that will be. My challenge to you is to not give up. Not to allow our ships to be turned away from heading toward the port of glory. To keep on sailing, whether it's stormy or calm, don't be caught drifting toward shore by the allurements that we may so much desire. If we have heaven as our focus, that will help us make the decisions that we need to make, the goals that we that we want and we strive for. If heaven is our focus, we will make things, those decisions, those goals, according to help us to keep moving ahead. We have a sea ahead of us. I was thinking about how up in Duluth, some of you have been there. We like to go there and watch the ships come in through the canal into the Duluth port. And you stand there along the canal and you watch. You know that at such and such a time, such and such a ship is going to be coming through. And you stand there and you wait and you wait and you wait. You look and you look and nothing's happening. But there's lots of people there. There could be hundreds and hundreds of people there. They're not always on time, but they do eventually arrive. And off in the distance, on the horizon where the water and the sky meet, you might see the ship. Small little speck as it's barreling down on, onto the entrance into the canal. In a matter of time, it is in and the people standing there on shore are eager to see. thought of, can that be parallel to those that are in heaven? Are they standing on the shore of heaven, eager to see our ship come in? There was a time, this last time, that we saw a ship come in, and on the deck was a deckhand, and of course everyone's waving, and he's waving, and I overheard him yell, to the crowd, 
This is the highlight of the trip, is coming in and being welcomed home. And what better words than to hear God say, Well done. You were faithful. Welcome home. 